call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 116 of Call It Friend, or the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watch two films based on novels by Robert Harris, An Officer and a Spy, and Munich, The Edge of War. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. We also spoil Succession Season 4 and Ted Lasso Season 3. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Podcast. Drop us a line there with any feedback or recommendations. Peace. The end of a 2023-2022 era. I said those in the wrong order. Can you edit that? <laughs> no. Oh, lazy motherfucker. 2022-2023 era of Call It Friendo. Yeah, we're about to go on summer high eight, us. Yes, and still Michael Rice has not apologized for stealing those headphones. What headphones were those? You haven't noticed them gone? What? Well, what about the sound issues in the last few episodes? Is that what that was? It's Miguel Arroth. At it again. Damn. Yeah, indeed. He doesn't listen, don't worry. So what have you been up to? Well, uh, I've been very busy. I've been busy. I did go to the cinema, though. I went to see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, do tell. Because I quite liked the first one. That's shocking to me, as I know you're not a fan of animation. My limitations on animation, for example, they don't extend to comedies. Uh, I can still enjoy South Park. I can still enjoy um, The Simpsons. My limitations when it comes to animation is when action is too flat, as as for me it was in something like Invincible, which I know you watched all of, or also any anime. I can't get on board with it. I just can't get it. But I watched Arcane on Netflix last year, and I thought that was fucking great. Isn't that like League of Legends or something? Yeah, it's, it's based like on League of Legends. But of like honestly, Andy, game. it is absolutely fantastic. I couldn't. That's, that's why I hear. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. And I did also really, really enjoy Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think it's quite possibly the best superhero movie ever made. Well, possibly. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the sequel is better. Yeah, that's I what... would say this. I'll say this by the sequel. I think. I saw it in the cinema here, and the audience loved it. They applauded at the end. They went pretty mad, which, I, again, I, when people clap at the end of a film, I'm like, you know. I hope you spat at a few of them. I did. <laughs> I spat directly into their open waiting mouths. Nice. But I think what threw a lot of people as well is they didn't realize it was a part one of a two-part I've heard thing, this, yeah. Which I, th- I don't know why they wouldn't tell people. Do you think that's just to try and get people in the cinema? No, I think that's because... Or they want it to be like a surprise. Well, it's... Yeah, exactly. It's like... Um, but that's not what Tommy Cruise is doing with Mission Impossible Dead Yeah, Reckoning. but that's different. That's not like... That's just... You know that story about Alfred Hitchcock uh, not allowing people in if the film had started for Psycho because people used to... Movies used to play on a reel all day. So you could just pay the ticket, enter, watch it three times if you wanted and then leave. But Alfred Hitchcock wouldn't uh, like change the ticketing system, so you couldn't leave if the movie you couldn't enter if the movie had started, and um, that was plainly because he wanted the effect of spoilers, guys. I'm sorry, Janet Lee dying halfway through. Oh, okay. To have the palpable effect, and 
I think for the lucky few who don't listen to this podcast and who don't read reviews, because I have already read, uh, I knew this was... But the, uh, I don't think this is a good reveal to people to are like, aha. Really? No, yeah, it doesn't... My thing it, is, because it's, it, it's about five years since the first, isn't it? It's a long time. Is it that long? Oh, yeah, maybe. 2018, is it? Could be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it takes a while to make these, sure. to do drawings. I've seen... It's the, also beautiful. It's like a weird fever dream. It's one of the so few many films jokes. I've been, it's just uh, joke, 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 Lord and Miller all the way through. I watched this with uh, my infant daughter like six months ago, and it was one of the few things we could. Right at the moment, she's one. I know the characters' names in Paw Patrol. I know them. I I actually Respect. get into the episodes. I, she has totally won. But there was a time where I could watch some animated movies with her, and uh, Spider-Verse was killer. She loved that, and uh, that's the last time I've watched it. Um, and it is, as you just said, I know I'm talking about the first one, but uh, you can reiterate for the sequel, it is spectacular to look at. It's crazy. I watched the uh, I watched it in a nice screen, Dolby Atmos thing, and uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was it's beautiful. There's so much work. It's like every single frame is like a painting. It's that. Yeah. No, that's trite to say, but it is, you know, a work of art. Well, I do remember, like, I remember when I saw the first one, just uh, despite all the things I had heard, despite having um, seen the trailers, etc., nothing could have prepared me for just that frenetic energy nothing on screen. could have that, prepared me for this. That cross between, like... I stood up and I clapped. as <laughs> Lemmy's thing. <laughs> Lemmy taking the piss out of... Of what? Uh, Richard E. Grant for Rise of Skywalker, he put out a video saying, nothing could have prepared me for this. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, I have to check that out. Check out Limmy doing his uh, version of that video. Why was Richard E. Grant upset about the reception? No, no, he was he was saying, he's like, I've just seen Rise of Skywalker. I think oh. I've actually seen this video. <laughs> <laughs> nothing could have prepared me for this. Anyway, I, st- I, I have actually, that. I've seen that video. I still haven't seen Rise of Skywalker. Anyway, that kicked ass, did it? Which? The film that you watched. What? Across the Spider-Verse? Yes. Yeah, it was good. Watch it. It's good. Sweet. What about you? Have you seen anything worth mentioning? Two things worth mentioning, but everybody's mentioning them, so fuck it, I'll Why? just get on board. Uh, well, no, actually, three. It's all TV because, um, you know, that's what I've been That's what I've been into. That's what I've been watching. No, actually, no. I watched a YouTube film, and it was great. A YouTube film? That well, sounds no, like it, some It's a film that's basically out of print, so COVID it's the only place you can uh, see it is on YouTube. It was a recommend from the Quentin Tarantino podcast. Uh, I watched this movie called Blind Rage, about five blind guys that they corral into robbing a bank, and it's fantastic. It's 83 minutes long. It is so good. I would really recommend checking it out. I know you won't. Anybody out there listening, it's on YouTube for free. It's so much fun. Uh, Fred Williamson is in it. Uh, you know that... Um, I know the name. Who's that? He's uh, a black martial artist that went on. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's in it. Was and he in, like, Enter the Dragon or something? Game of Death and Game Enter of Death. the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Enter the Dragon. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Oh, it's so much fun. I would give that a high recommend. But I'll just have to mention, first of all, I've gotten knee-deep into Yellowstone. I love it. I think it's really How good. How many seasons have you seen? I'm just done with the second season. And you know me, I try to digest a season at a time, but Yellowstone is kind of different. And let me lay it out for you. For folks who haven't heard of Yellowstone, I mean, it's the biggest, people call it succession for Republicans in America. And it, 
in a way, yeah, it kind of is that, but in a way, it, it sort of isn't. It, so it's the story of um, this family called the Dutton, the patriarch played by Kevin Costner. Uh, it's written by Taylor Sheridan, who um, Hell or High, High Water, Water Sicario, uh, Sicario, Wind River, Wind River, the Great yeah, yeah. Wind River. Exactly. He's a he's he's a he's a solid writer. He's a good writer, and um, I think he writes. If you just go through the Wikipedia page of this show, he writes he almost, all the episodes? almost everything. It's okay. crazy. But that's what holds it together because the plot lines are kind of soap opera stuff in a way. I mean, there's a patriarch, there's somebody, a land developer trying to develop the guy's land. But it's that the characters are so well developed uniquely and the setting is so beautiful. So it's all, all filmed in the mountains in Montana with loads of horses and, you know, I'm a sucker for all things like that. And no, it's got, let's see, uh, cast is an embarrassment of riches. I've only mentioned um, Kevin Costner. You've got uh, Danny Houston as, Legend. guess what? A bad <laughs> <antagonist>. an arsehole. <laughs> A bad um, arsehole. Oh, what's her chops? Her name's just gone out of my head, even though it's she's like great too. Connie uh, Nielsen or someone like that. No, 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 no. It's, um, forget it. Luke Grimes is in it. Wes Bentley. Oh, he's bringing out all these people who've... Uh, haven't done much of it. But our great actors, our great talents. Like Kelly Riley. Kelly Riley. Kelly Riley's yeah. excellent in it. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I'm enjoying that so much. Are you going to do all the spinoffs? I've heard a lot. The things I've heard about Yellowstone are by season four or something, people were a bit pissed off, or some fans were a bit pissed off of kind of, they would go, th- you know, like sort of will they, won't they type things and characters doing something and then not doing it and then doing it like changing characters across arcs and things. There are things like that happening kind of already. Oh. But but hold on. But here's the oh for it. I mean, I think accepting shows like <laughs> the other two I'll mention this week and the likes of The Sopranos and so forth, you'll deal with those generally in, in terms of writing. Fucking Shakespeare dealt with those. But I don't know. The characters are so dug in deep into who they are in this. From everything I've seen so far and the way it's shot, that, I don't know, it'll work for you. For me, anyway, it works a lot. I, I really enjoy it. Enjoy it a lot. The other two ones I want to talk about are the ones that fucking everyone is talking about, but I'll say it anyway. Oh, wait, I was going to ask, are you going to watch the spinoffs to Yellowstone? Yes, 1883 I will. and 1923. Well, particularly, like, those are both cowboy shows and one of them has Harrison Ford, so I'm going to do it, yes. And then there's 2001, A Space Odyssey. That's, That's right. the sequel. Well, you, you know... Costner has departed because he's making his Kevin uh, Costner's dead. latest uh, no he's he's burning all his money again to make a western project called Horizon a four part epic western that he's financing himself and he which will either be great or absolute shit dude I mean I I just can't wait to see Horizon and American Saga yeah Sienna Miller, your favorite. Sam Worthington, I your do other like Sienna favorite. Miller a lot. I think I think Sam Worthington. Thomas Hayden Church, good. yes, someone's favorite. I Michael, like Thomas Hayden Church too. Mike Michael Rooker, my favorite. Yeah, he's good. That should be fine. Do you think Michael Rooker's playing hey, a good guy in, in a western? No, I'll tell do you. you who, think it's possible? I tell you who is in it. Angus uh, Angus McFadden. Go away. Yeah, the, the original fat, fat baddie. The fat, the fat baddie. Oh wow! And your friend uh, Danny Houston. He's in it. Danny Houston's in it again. Because apparently uh, Taylor Sheridan was a bit buggered off by uh, Kevin Costner deciding to leave when he did. He wanted to do... Uh, oh, he's uh, left, has he? Well, yeah, and he's replaced... Stuff. Well, no, no, because no, I haven't seen uh, to the end of season five, but apparently it's going to end with his last season. And um, 
Costner successfully sued somebody, not Taylor Sheridan, he got out of it, but there were rumors circulating that got to the press that um, Costner was just being a dickhead and saying, I'll only work like two hours a day or stuff like that. And he reckons that they leveraged it on him to get him to stay longer. Now, anyway, they're going to relaunch the show, it looks like, with... uh, (laughs) Let's see, don't read anything. Who would you replace... Kevin Costner is your main character with in the uh, Cowboy Show. Jamie Foxx. Come on now, you're not being serious. Give me a clue. Give me a clue. Not a- not insane. Replacing a cowboy in a modern context. Chris Cooper. No, modern context. That's more decent. modern. That's decent. I thought it was a decent shout. It is a decent shout. Uh, give me a clue. I need. Give me. I need a clue. I can't think. My mind's gone blank. My mind's gone wank. Uh... I don't know, man. Start out asking the right fucking questions. Is it Matthew McConaughey? It Sorry, is Matthew I cheered, McConaughey. I cheered, I cheered, I looked. Oh, I'm you sorry, son of a bitch. Because I, I give you a good clue there. You know what start asking the right fucking questions is? No. It's the line that closes the first episode of True Detective. Oh, all right, speaks. all right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Anyway, yeah, he's going to chop in and replace him. I really enjoyed that, but uh, I would like to talk very briefly, because everyone's talking about both of these, about Succession and Ted Lasso, which both concluded this week. Or the last week. I've sort of given up on Ted Lasso. I'll probably get right into it. But that and Yellow Jackets, I just, I was busy and I fell off and I was kind of like, eh. I haven't eh. watched any of the second season of Yellow Jackets. I watched the first five minutes of the first episode. And you were like, done. That was good. I had a Sharon Van Etten song. Uh, but that was 17? Good. Yeah, nice. exactly right. Uh, succession. I know. Will you ever watch Succession? No, and I've already had all the spoilers. So, shall we say spoilers for sucks, Succession? Yeah, I've, sure. I've had spoilers many Successions, but um, yeah, I'm not going to watch this one, this four season thing. I think this series... Brian Cox dies. ...has stuck the landing in a way that very few shows manage to. Because, and here's the thing. So yeah, Brian Cox, the patriarch, he dies, uh, Logan Roy, and... The episode after that, you very quickly realize, oh, wow, he was definitely the best thing in the show. 100%. Was a big drop-off? He was so good. Kind of. What about Jeremy Strong, the method actor? Well, he's great. They're all great. Honestly, the whole cast is fantastic. But then it does, it picks off with the canniness and the plotting once again. But my feeling about Succession has always been that ever since it came out, Nobody can write a reviewer and express an opinion without saying, and I think this is just the modern political climate, without immediately expressing the boss oh i hate all these characters i hate all these characters and i think the whole point of this show is to make you empathize with these characters and that was always a big kind of like it's always sunny in philadelphia thing as well after a certain point was where they had to people had to say i mean obviously they're terrible characters yeah yeah but like i personally for me in i haven't watched all of it's always sunny i think i only watched uh, the first four seasons it's just because I gravitate less towards comedy, I suppose. I, yeah, I haven't seen that much either. But I, I do. I always thought it was very funny, and Same. I always thought that it was a genius conceit. That supposing we just make them all just completely, yeah, <laughs> just morally Crickets. bankrupt. I think that's great, and I don't it, because it's a comedy. You don't have to mention like that's the thing. It's a comedy. You don't have to mention it. In Succession, people always mention it before they talk about it. Which uh, nobody did that with fucking The Sopranos, by the way. That's this is just a change in climate. That's all it is. Nobody but isn't that also a thing of like they're mafia members? So you're like, obviously, they're. I mean, they're criminals. Why wouldn't? Well, I mean, these are. You know, this is the Murdoch family essentially. 
So you mean like upstanding members of the <laughs> society? Is that what you're saying? Anyway. Some nice Australian folks. I think people kind of... I don't think they actually did. I was about to say I think people missed the point with this sort of shit for years. But I don't think they actually did. I think they were just expressing what they had to express. And they loved the show for the right reasons. And the right reasons were, in fact, that they're just... Like, what a horrible situation to be in. And as a matter of fact, the show does a great illustration of the fact that, yeah, guess what? Money isn't everything. As a matter of fact, it might fucking suck. It might not be good to just... You reckon? This is it. This is what's so interesting about the the conflicts in the show. And, like, with the ending of it... So the ending is none of them get the company. I um, thought it went to Jeremy Strong. No. No. What happens to him? I thought he was going to kill himself at the end. He that's said what he, he says. Like, yeah, he, he had like... That's what he says, yeah. He it looks like it's going to go that way. Um, and... So who gets the you're, As a viewer, I was comfortable with that. Uh, but I was kind of comfortable with that in the way that... I was just thinking, okay, sure. I'm going to have to put spoilers for Succession in the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the intro. Okay, so they're just going to... They're going to get it and... Uh, who? Everyone? The, Did they all get yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were going to share it. And it's he nice. was going to be the CEO. The, and Shiv, the sister, had the casting vote. And you were kind of going, yeah, fine, I'll accept that. But what was more natural to it was that it would all fall apart. But I, you could see that that would be a really difficult thing to pull off, to just have a complete sort of non-ending in a way. But they really, really, really make it work. And in the end, the CEO of the company is um, Tom McFadden, uh, his character. Oh, uh, yeah, Matt, Matthew. Matthew McFadden. Yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. sorry. He's uh, great. What, you, what Tom Langspams or something Whatever. like that. Yeah, he's no, good. He's he's very good. Very satisfactory ending. Couldn't fault it. Just, yeah. I can't believe it, it ended so top, quite frankly. Ted Lasso, I love... I'm almost glad it's over because I don't have to try and figure out why I love it so much anymore. Because I shouldn't. I, I heard I a lot of people saying season three fell flat for them. I've heard a lot of that too. It was not the case for no? me. I was just... Okay, spoilers for Ted Lasso because I really don't give a shit. Do they win the league? Or yes, something? they win the league. Okay, that's all I wanted to know. They win the league. Roy Kent is the new manager. And what happens to <laughs> like, Ted? He goes home my, and gets my, his wife. My back team or in Barcelona, San Andreu, two seasons in a row. Have, they're now in the second division after mm-hmm. two years. They, two, twice in two seasons have gone up. That's incredible. I care more about. They're Ted in the Lasso. second division. They just got up to that's the second division. Good. Like San it was good effort. Yeah, they got from. Uh, yeah, that's like a third regional, regional league. That's third trans regional second. They're and in they, second. They made it through a trans league as well. That's exactly. impressive. But like those are some mean the ladies. boys. They had an incredible season. Incredible. Yeah. I care more about uh, Richmond. <laughs> Fair play. Um, Nerd. Yeah, I just uh, there's only one or two characters that annoyed me, and they annoyed me in a way that probably the whole what, show Keely? should have annoyed me. Uh, Keely was one. Uh, the Nigerian player was the other. Oh, yeah, Sam. Sam, yeah, yeah, yeah. And eventually, I just kind of forgave all ills. You I have to because they're sort. They rep. They're sort of big archetype type things. They represent a certain. Yeah, he, yeah. He the, represents like a well-meaning African footballer who's slightly naive, who's learning lessons, and but can also teach people through his. Something like that, and me Humility giving. By the way, me giving up on finding them annoying wasn't me. Just like wasn't me. It wasn't me placating to the show. It like it wore me down. Eventually, I liked. Him. Sure. <laughs> Eventually, I liked Keely. I don't know. I don't. I don't know why this show works so well. It shouldn't. 
anybody in the age of modern TV should take the time to pick out individual moments for a show that's won countless Emmys at this point and say, why does this work? How many times have you watched that dart scene? About fucking one. 20. Yeah, exactly. Andy, but the reason fucking that, 20. The reason that works from season one is just because we're so accustomed to, especially in the UK, and around sports, of people just being like cunts, essentially. Mm. And so when you have a character who is like honest but positive and fights back Do you know my favorite line in that scene? In that um, scene? Barbecue sauce. No, where he goes, um, uh, Rupert makes a comment about Rebecca and um, Ted goes, oh, no language like that while I'm holding a dart. Like it's just such southern gentleman shit. It's, oh. Yeah, so I was very happy with the ending of it. I don't care what people say. I um, I thought it was great. It looks like there's going to be two spin-offs anyway. So great! I look forward to Roy Kent. Roy Kent, yeah, the show. Be Roy Kent. Roy Kent himself is actually very much dug in with Apple now. He's in that show with Harrison Ford. Ooh, therapy. Or, it seemed like he was called. doing well for himself because he was going away and doing. He was on like Conan and like he was doing all the. Really? American chat show host circuit. Not that that means anything anymore. No, it doesn't. Like, but like, I like to go on fucking you'd, YouTube. You'd kind of be happy for him because I, I, yeah, he's he, got a weird head, but I feel very happy for him. I, he, I listen here and there to his, um, his podcast, which is okay. It's a good idea for it, um, and he he has good guests occasionally. But like, the as with most podcasts, by the way, I listen to those uh, ones with the uh, personal details that you told me to. That w- those were good recommends. Which one was that? Aiden Jones is? breaking up with his girlfriend and John and Matt uh, <laughs> having a bad time about Tom Segura. They were genuinely those yeah, were yeah, good yeah, recommends. Thank you, good. honestly. Yeah. Uh, I honestly, I, and the only reason I listened to them was because I was a bit lost for podcasts, and I was like, ah, fine, whatever, Andy. There's nothing I was, better than listening to podcasts of people you know. Doing I was stuff. zoned in for both of those. Those were good. <laughs> But um, in a similar way, you'd hear him talking about like how he had done something called, I'm sure you'd be familiar with it, despite us not doing it, um, something called pilot season in the US. Yes. Two or three years in a row. <laughs> despite us not doing it, yeah. And he just, he just, like, just him talking about how it's just the most draining. Can you imagine how draining and useless an exercise it is? I've, You've I've, got an okay enough career in the UK that someone will sponsor you to go over and do a pilot season. And in your heart, you must know. I've heard someone else from the UK talking about pilot season as well. Like, I can't remember who it was. I think it was um, Tommy Flanagan Mm. on that Michael Rosenbaum podcast. He's talking about he went over for pilot season and then... I only listened to... I must listen to more of those, actually. I only listened to the... uh, What's his chops? Fickner. No, the Grimes one. No, I said Grimes. But that's a character of his in a Marvel movie. You know, the martial artist fella. He's in Captain America Civil War. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, um, Frank Grillo, Grillo, Grillo. Frank Grillo. So that's all I have to say about that. Thank God. Indeed, yeah, I've rambled on for 25 minutes. Yeah. So who goes first in this instance? It's been so long since we podcasted, I've forgotten. Is it you? Well, yeah, it's the first film which won the toss, and that was your choice, An Officer and a Gentleman. Starring Richard Gere, that's what I watched. She love takes us up where, where we belong. belong. Where the that's a great movie. I rewatched soar. it a couple of years ago. It's really good. But you did. You don't like it? Uh, okay. There's, I, I there's one very it. odd scene in the middle of it. What's uh, that? Where the uh, black drill sergeant makes him kung fu fight him. He tries teaching them kung fu and then he has to fight him. I don't know, it's wild. Oh, uh, it <laughs> but I mean, it works in the seems movie. It's normal to me. Well, actually, it was an officer and a spy, 
which the French title of which is uh, Jacuzzi. Yes. Or Jacuzzi. Jacuzzi, indeed. Yes, I prefer it's the reason I wanted it. to watch the film in the first place. I felt a bit cheated. I thought it was a sequel to the um, erotic thriller from France, also, Swimming Pool. The Pissed. Accused. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but any, yeah, I think that's a more logical <laughs> title. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was that. quick off the mark. Do <laughs> not cut that. Do not cut that. The world deserves that. No, come on. That's bad. <laughs> I don't know. I thought you were. That's incredible. <laughs> Apologies. Um, Oi. No, I, I think that's a much better title. It makes sense. It links to the Emil Zola article that we see in the film. Yes, indeed, it Officer does. Officer and a Spy feels like, eh, eh. That's the name of uh, Robert Harris's book, right? Yes. It's Officer and a Spy. To which this screenplay sticks so closely, except when it doesn't. And I, it's odd because I love everything about this film, except when it deviates from the book. And when it deviates from the book as a mystery, I can only put it down to maybe they didn't have enough money. Maybe they didn't want to make it too long. But every second that it was on, I was into it. But I was there wondering, if people haven't read the book or they're not familiar with what happened, are they lost? So I'm asking you, are there parts of this that you were just fucking lost for? I was never lost, but there's a lot. I was quite, I mean, obviously it's in French, so I've got English subtitles on. And I was quite happy for that. Because there, there's quite a lot of names, there's quite a lot of information, but at a certain point, I was like, this seems so historically accurate. I'm assuming it's, it's accurate. It's really accurate. That That's it's, why it's a shame they leave out certain passages. But I the, feel like it's too accurate. I mean, if you want to... You make, didn't enjoy it. It's not that I didn't enjoy it, it's just, okay, this is going back, this is, this is more talking about like Robert Harris's novels. I haven't read this novel... I haven't read his. I'm assuming. I'm assuming Munich Edge of War is based on his novel. Yeah, he wrote yeah. a book called Munich, right? I like Robert Harris's novels. I love Fatherland. I love Archangel, especially. I love the ones where there's a big twist and something that you're not. There's either either a mystery or like a big twist at the end, and that's that's what sells it to me. Whereas this mm. seems like a very faithful representation of what actually happened which i think is good because i don't think i mean i look back through in history there are films made about this but like it's been a while since anyone's made one the um so i i've i think i've read four harris books in the last year and this one was easily the fastest and i include fatherland in that which i thought was i love fatherland fatherland i love the fatherland (laughs) fatherland is an incredible read like it's so compulsive but this, the fact, like, uh, in the first chapter or two, I was looking things up going, how real is this? And everything said, yeah, th- like, he dramatizes it exactly as it went down. So from the perspective of a reader, so unbelievably satisfying to eventually see the goody out, you know, winning and, um, you know, the dickheads destroyed, basically. So I suppose, yeah, for me... I was fine with there not being a twist in this because it's so... How it's possible you... that you just need to read the book. It's, it is possible that because for me, it was like a ride-along experience. I was Normally, I don't like books that stick too closely to the novel. But the second this opened, the cinematography and the costumes and the setting, I was just hooked. I was like, wow. I mean, Polanski's you know, clearly a master filmmaker whatever you think of him. There's a huge difference in between these two films. Oh, yeah, and that's he's, a big problem. I am, that's he is, a, yeah, he's yeah, yeah, a difference. Yeah. He's like, he's so talented. He's such a strong filmmaker. 
There's almost there's so little music set in this film. Decoration. Set Things decoration. Set like decoration is insane. Yeah. It's shot around Paris. It was going to be filmed in Poland, but eventually they were able. To I was move looking it to Paris. up going. I was looking up going. How much of this was green screened? None of it. Like, no, they did it. On the, it the it just looks incredible. So I figure their money limitations came when. So there is there are, there are subplots with the the guy uh, Colonel. What's his chops? Which one? The lead. Jean de Jardin's uh, character. George Picard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, George Picard's character. There were subplots about his life in the novel, but the main thing that they cut out was him getting exiled to Africa and sent on a suicide mission. Yeah, he which was supposed point, to go to Tripoli. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He went AWOL and went, oh. uh, snuck back to Paris. And that's when he was put under arrest. His original... Oh, because, yeah. yeah, that's just... he's. Turns up and he's like, "Yeah, you know, they sent me to Africa." Exactly, Africa and tough. that's a, about a hundred pages of a five hundred page. Yeah, novel. that's not good. No, it's not. Um, and it's time, I, time wasn't for that clear to me. I mean, they do put it up on screen. They but do it's put like it up on screen. Seven, but like I love. I have a huge place in my heart for um, anything that is realistically set back when the world was actually big. And do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, you've talked about this before. Yeah, exactly. Like, I really, really enjoy when you get that sense. Do you know what's great at these? The Indiana Jones movies, whatever about the uh, fourth and the fifth one soon to come. The first few ones are, and particularly the first yeah, because one. because they had a plane that went across the map. Yeah, they do. I think I do. might have made the exact same comment last time you mentioned this. Yeah, yeah, the, but they, they do. But, but I love that. I do like, I'm not even kidding. I think the plane across the map is a piece of genius. Yes, it is. They're and like it's, going on the little red line. It's so cool. What? There's no better way to tell you that you've And then when they land in fucking uh, Casablanca, I believe, in the fir- in Raiders, um, it's just, you know, it's a madhouse. Like, they're just in a completely different place. Uh, it's uh, like, yeah, it is an underrated tactic. So this one being all set in Paris, except for those odd moments where you, where go, you, go, to where you, where you go to Devil's Island with um, Dreyfus. Dreyfus. Yeah, I think it could have benefited from leaving the city, but all the same, I enjoyed the film a lot. and uh, It was good. I mean, it is a, it's such a well-made film. The story is interesting. I... Did you know point. much about it beforehand? No, no, no. There was Nothing. a certain well, yeah, when, very, very little. When they introduced like Zola's writing about, it, I was like, oh, Jacques, I, I, I've heard about that. Mm. That's a thing. I've heard about that. I know what that is. So like, yeah, I knew very little about the Dreyfus affair. So the but, f- the first th- like the first things that I would have learned about it was if you read anything about um, France's entry into the um, First World War, it was that they were short of men and short of morale due to the l- massive public loss of faith in the army because of things going down exactly the way they did in this movie like the army at one point in the trial kind of basically and that information got out basically saying well if you don't want us to defend us we won't defend you and uh, it was just considering you know the central values of france post-revolution and pre-internet you could say people were like just like jesus christ the the army's gonna do this they're like and anti-semitism of course was rife in france and that's obvious by the way that the um the vichy government turned out in the south of the country Mm. where they were you know perfect nazi collaborators but uh talk to any uh, as i've talked to a couple talk to any french person who knows their history like this is a this is national disgrace this is a huge embarrassment for the country of France. This film was basically deleted. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's right. Part of the controversy was that apparently Roman Polanski gave an interview where he compared Dreyfus's case with his own and saying... I haven't run into this. Where did you run into that? <sighs> somewhere online. Sounds fake, to be honest. You think it's fake? You think it's I fake don't news? Think, I don't think it's possible Roman Polanski could be that stupid this late in his fucking... Do you not think? I mean, he's in his 80s. He's, he's 89 or something now. Have you seen he took a picture, like a selfie, with the... The lady recently, and they're both smiling together. Which lady? The lady from the 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 one who uh, got raped by him. Yeah, yeah. No, I did not hear that. That's was, interesting. I mean, I know she'd been trying. We've we've talked again and we've previous, talked at least yeah. yeah a few times. We've talked about the Polanski thing, so we don't need to go into the actual accusations or anything. But we've if you go back, if you find somewhere in previous episodes wherever we've talked about Roman Polanski, have we talked? Was that in relation to a film of his that we watched? Why did that come up? Have we talked about any other Roman Polanski films on the podcast? I don't think I am. No, I don't I think, think I, so. I, I probably have brought oh, some. Oh, yeah, it was maybe when we were talking about Rose, Rosemary's Baby or Yeah, I mean, I've brought that or something up. something like that. But or I mean, maybe it was Nicholson. It might have been in relation to Jack Nicholson. But if you just Google right now, people, Roman Polanski selfie, you'll get it. And it was taken by his wife, the... That's mad. When is this? A few weeks ago. Fucking hell. Samantha Gamer. Yeah, because she's been very public about she just wants it to be over. She, yeah, she's like, that's insane, though. She doesn't think he's a bad person. and There are other accusations against him, though. There, uh, around the time this film came out, this was kind of what shelved it, I think. There was a, an actress, Valentine Monnier, who said, accused Polanski of raping her in Switzerland in 1975. Yeah, I saw that. So but there are accusations still. That has that has kind of I don't know that uh, my understanding of that one is it's not being taken seriously. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't know I, I I don't know I can't comment. But that selfie is mind blowing. Yeah, isn't it's it? It's certainly worth checking out. It's worth considering, the, the, like the physician. It's an insane thing. It's hard to really. It's it's hard. It's hard to I don't know. Don't know what to say about that. There you go. I know what to say. I forgive you, Roman Polanski. This is uh, me, Andy J. Ritchie, forgiving you, Roman Polanski, on microphone. What are you saying, uh, Andy? He's very talented. uh, He is very talented. talented. I love Knife in the Water. What's your favorite Polanski movie? Chinatown? Is that your favorite? Rosemary's Baisme? I mean, I loved Officer and a Spy. I liked it. I could see that it was made by a master... I mean, someone who's clearly made some amazing films over the years. With budget limitations, which kept them away from Africa, which was a pity. This this film, uh, I saw there's a couple of things talking about how difficult it was to make a film in French that was going to be sold worldwide anyway. So there was some expectation that this was not going to travel well. Which is fair. I mean, it did well at the Cesar Awards. It, uh, he won Best Director. It won Best Adaptation, Best Costume Design. Yeah, a bunch of people walked out. A bunch out, of people it? walked out. The lady from uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, who's since uh, retired from acting, retired from film and TV. Go away. She, on account uh, of that? On account of Polanski, Gerard Depardieu, and how fucked up the French film industry is. We'll see if I can find her name. <laughs> <laughs> when you put your Depardieu next to uh, Roman Falansky. Adele Hanel? Yeah, Ad- Adele Hanel. You're Adele Enel. Enel. You're faced with that um, 
horrible notion that maybe it matters how talented the person is before people forgive him with things. She hasn't been in anything since Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Then she retired. Oh, okay. I mean, and that was said, years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 2019. She said it was in reaction to... Polanski winning the Cesar. That's part of it. I can't find her exact wording, but basically it was just saying like, yeah, there's a lot of sexual Creepy old French lads. Basically, yeah. And so she decided that she wanted to retire. I think she, she's still doing theatre. Retirement from the industry, she said, Gerard Depardieu, Roman, uh, Roman Polanski, and Dominique Boutonard. That scoundrel. I think that's a lady. No, it's a man. It's obviously not. It's a producer who did some bad stuff. You want to be a star, don't you, Andy? So, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot surrounding this film, which is why so few people outside of France have probably seen it. Yeah, I heard about it because a, a, a history, it was, it history was, podcast that I love had a lady on um, saying 10 films that will tell you hi, uh, French history. And uh, the last one she mentioned was this. It's fair. It certainly does. Yeah, it does. It's a huge moment in French history. Um, but she... She mentions the films in order of release, not in order of historical incident. So this was the last one that she mentioned, even though like uh, there's one in the middle about the Par- Paris Commune in the 1960s. But it it was the first thing that uh, got me because I'd heard the of the Dreyfus case when you know listening to podcasts and reading books about World War One, basically. Uh, so I had heard about it, but. Uh, her drilling home in this podcast, which is called "The Rest of History," the rest is history, and I recommend people listen to it. Um, really drilled into me what a huge affair it was in France and how it kind of rocked national consciousness. And it, like some people would argue, that it would be one of the uh, causes of the severity of World War One, or certainly the direction of the German forces in World War One. They perceived Frank, France as having a weakness, and they had taken some of France in a previous agreement, which is actually the part of France where Dreyfus and the lead yeah, character... from Mulhus. Mulhus. And what's the name of the area again? Alsace? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're from the Alsace region. Anyway. Would you like to hear about the plot? Let's do plot. Richard Dreyfus joins Robert it's Shaw... Bullshit. He joins Robert Shaw and Roy Scheider in search of a big shark. No. <laughs> you haven't seen that? No. What's that? Oh, um, Dreyfus in response to the... And I'll oh, say no, you, you, you've told me about this before. It's like an anti-culture, like can- cancel culture thing. Ludicrous um, conditions for winning an award these days. But right. anyway. Oh, is that what it was? Anyway. In 1894, Alfred Dreyfus, captain in the French army, is found guilty of high treason. That's the worst kind of treason not way treason. bad treason for passing military secrets to the german empire he's degraded and condemned so degraded he's like literally his grade goes down they do they do the kind of that's how mary starts. poppins uh firing from the bank thing what's that they ruffle up your buttons and break your sword yeah they yeah they break his sword in half what a shit sword very shit sword. it's not for fighting that one is it? it's just for it's like a yeah it's a decorative sword right He's degraded and condemned to exile on Devil's Island. Not really an island, actually a peninsula. That's not true. That's a Simpsons joke. His affair triggers uh, a noticeable echo in France since Dreyfus is Jewish. One year later, Officer Georges Picard of the Starship Enterprise, former superior of Dreyfus himself, is appointed head of the Secret Service section in the French Army. Deuxième bureau. 
The man, despite alleged anti-Semitic sentiment, is unaware that the trial against Dreyfus was rather summary and biased by his origin. Therefore, noticing some irregularities in the dossier of the affair, he decides to conduct an investigation to verify the man's guilt. To, That's um, quite funny about that. Is about their they make there no there's no bones about it. They're not like oh this guy is not this this guy is not on the right side of like no he's he this guy is like an anti-Semitic. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he's fully on board. He's like, yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I did obviously. I dislike the Jews, yeah, yeah, of totally. which you are one, but I still believe in following the law and doing my duty. But that's one of the like when I was reading the book, and again, I I relooked it up um, when I was, it was after watching the film. Like this guy's a genuine hero, for real. Like this anti-Semite is a real hero because he fucking so in the. In the book, by this point, you've explored. He's got he's got another relationship on with another lady. Uh, he's in with the Paris socialite crowd, whatever. And what kind of drags his heels? Actually, no, that shows that well enough in the movie. Is he just notices the dissimilarity in handwriting? What it doesn't show well is the alternative subject is introduced very very early in the film whereas in the book it's probably in the second half you learn about him it's just him floating around noticing dissimilarities in handwriting and also big distrust with the perfectly cast uh henry or Henri or you know the guy i'm talking about the big fat guy yeah he has he's to a, do fat, with. a fat baddie yeah he's good uh, he's well cast and he's a great antagonist in the book as well. And 100% That's true. Sword fight. We'll get to that yeah, eventually, yeah. the duel. Picard discovers that the so-called Baudrillard, the document that would prove his guilt, was not written by Dreyfus, as the graphologist Alphonse Bertillon had declared, but by another soldier, Major Ferdinand Volsin Esterhazy. According to Picard, he is the real spy, but the evidence has been prejudiced or even falsified to the detriment of Dreyfus. And it was all to, sh- to save embarrassment. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic cover-up. The it's like the early cover-up. They were like, fuck him. He's yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, why should we re- save this the, guy? The main motive was like, no, we can't look bad. We can't look weak. We can't tell people that we've made a mistake. Mm. Picard is convinced of Dreyfus's innocence and tries to reopen the trial to exonerate him and arrest Esterhazy, but meets the opposition of his superiors Admitting Dreyfus's innocence would result in a great scandal that would lead to the discovery of corruption in the army, while the man as a Jew is the perfect scapegoat. Picard is then removed from office and sent on a mission far from Paris. This is a long way into the film already. I mean, this is like at least half of the film at this point. Mm. However, he manages to return and tell everything to his friend, the lawyer Louis Lebois, who begins to organize a committee for the rehabilitation of Dreyfus involving his colleague, Fernand Labori, members of the parliament and intellectuals, uh, including the famous author Emile Zola. Picard's insubordination leads to his arrest, but on the same day Zola publishes in the newspaper L'Aurore the article entitled J'accuse, which would become famous, where he fiercely criticizes the irregularities of the trial of Dreyfus and exposes all the people involved in the case. Zola, on a complaint from the government, is tried for defamation and, due to the false declarations made in the courtroom by the soldiers called to witness, the writer is sentenced to one year in prison. Did he actually serve that? He didn't serve time in jail. There's no way that he Zola absconded. went to jail. Nice respect. He unfortunately did die as a result of like a dodgy chimney. No, oh, no. He died in like 1902 or something. It wasn't. They some there was some suggestions that he was maybe murdered. Hmm. 
While the whole of France is divided between innocent and guilty parties, the intellectuals signing the pro-Dreyfus petition are targeted by popular hatred. Later, after losing a duel against Picard, Lieutenant Colonel Hubert Joseph-Henri, who had testified against Dreyfus, admits he perjured himself and died shortly after, apparently by suicide. That duel, when he gets stabbed through the arm... Oh, it's great, isn't it? ...fucking brutal, and he wants to keep going. But it's like... It's not gory, but you feel it. Oh, it's man. F- it's so well done, isn't it? A sword goes through his arm, but yeah, yeah. he's wearing a shirt. And, and then he's not trying to over pick the top. The he's trying to pick That's up the sword. perfect he's, performance, isn't it? Yeah. It's and such a good it's performance. Also, it's also not over the top that he's wearing a white shirt. It's not that it like, immediately becomes... It's not like his entire sleeve is red, but there's enough no, blood. No, there's a speck. And there, then he, and the then he acts, like the enough blood starts seeping into the shirt that you're like, fucking hell. And then when he's trying to pick up the sword and he just can't, uh, it's fantastic. That's but then he also like, and then uh, he basically he gives up. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. takes his hand and he's like, and that's at that point you're like, he's done. Like he will kill himself or he's on site one way or another. Yeah, like, though he was still a man of honor despite being a big fat baddie. You know, honor. Well, no, this end. is it. That's uh, why he like uh, the the film is good to him, just like the book is good to him, because that's exactly what happened. Respect. Um, yeah, uh, Picard has like has said that when he felt that when, once the duel was won, that uh, Henri would do the right thing, and he did he killed himself? Yeah, it's like uh, he didn't kill himself though. Godfather Part Two or something. Well, for sure was he was murdered. Like you reckon? Do you see the way he was laid out? They gave him a straight razor in prison. You don't think he offed himself? Like this? Yeah, it's classic. You slit your own throat. Fair enough. I don't know. I'm just saying. I think he was. Uh, a real one. Following Henry's depositions, Picard is acquitted and released, while Dreyfus is repatriated, or repatriated, repatriated, I'm going to say, for a second trial. Shortly before the decisive hearing, the lawyer Laborie suffers an, an assassination attempt and is, uh, is unable to defend Dreyfus. Did he really die at that, or was it just an attempt? Uh, I, in the book, he dies. He, Laborie was the victim of assassination attempt, which hospitalized him for a week. And the attacker was never identified. No, he died in uh, 1917 during the First World War. Oh. So there you go, Fernand Lovell. He, uh, I'm probably attack. remembering it wrong in that case because it doesn't seem like... Why would he change that detail? The man is sentenced again, but the sentence to be served is made lighter by the recognition of the extenuating circumstances. In 1899, the Prime Minister grants Dreyfus a pardon. Picard would like to continue fighting to prove his innocence, but Dreyfus, exhausted, accepts it. Seven years later, there will be full acquittal and reintegration into the army. This is not written by a native English speaker. This um, is one of the great things in the book in that the tension, because it it's it, Harris is so into being historically accurate, you know, like all his other books that I've read are all about the tension, but he's so into being historically accurate in this one that it's kind of allowed a slow crescendo to the end of the plot. Because basically once the... You're just wrapping it up at this point. Well, once that uh, army general refuses to answer for the fact that one of the documents, the the main evidence is fake, he just won't answer for it. That's it. And well, that's really he says what it's I'm, like a secret of the state, and yeah, we yeah, can exactly. reveal that. That's it. That's just it's the Patriot Act. Yeah, yeah, and that's the end of it. But. The book, like the film, winds slowly down until you get that wonderful scene at the end, which I love. In 1907, Picard is appointed Minister of War, also thanks to the recognition of the judicial error to the detriment of him. Who the fuck wrote this? 
ChatGPT, Dreyfus asks him for an audience in protest because the years in which he has unfairly served his sentence have not been recognized, preventing him from reaching the rank of lieutenant colonel. Picard cannot make this concession to him as the political climate has changed again, which causes Dreyfus outrage. The two men greet each other with respect, never to see each other again. Oh no. And then they kissed. The end. So fun times. Real people. Real people in real situations. Yeah. But I'm sure everything of- I'm sure everything turned out fine after nineteen oh seven. I'm sure it all went well and no one ever <laughs> particularly had a bad time for Dreyfus. again. I did read about a few of the real people. Uh, it's a very George, interesting story. Georges Picard. Georges Picard. He died in 1914. <laughs> From it. smoking <laughs> a million it. fags all Probably. the time, forever. Uh, Fernando. No, wait. Who do I was reading about? Yeah. Uh, Dreyfus ended up fighting in the First World War. Go on. He retired. He basically like retired from the army due to his, you know, having a shit time and being sent to fucking Monster Island. Uh, he was promoted. He was promoted to the rank of lieutenant colonel in the First World War. He was in his mid fifties by that point, but then he served mostly behind the lines of the Western Front. However, he also performed frontline duties in 1917, notably at Verdun. Wow, which was the not, most horrible not place in history. Time. Yeah, yeah. He was promoted to officer of the Legion of Honor in November 1918. Fair play. Eventually died in 1935. A brave man, a physically brave man. He's wow. uh, he's buried in the Montparnasse Cemetery alongside Serge Gainsbourg and Man Ray. Beside them. Well, I mean, he's in the same ground somewhere. Is that in Paris? It is indeed. Okay, I was in a World War One cemetery this weekend. It was tiny, um, but it was like it quite moving because there's this tiny little mountain village, uh, Marin, Marin the Vales, and um, I'm probably not pronouncing that right. It's quite close to the Andorran border and the did Spanish these people fighting World War One, or did they? Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. They, it was like, the people from the, 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 the hit their heads and stuff and died <laughs> during, <laughs> during World War One. <laughs> no, no, it was the the people from the village, like twenty of them, who had uh, fought in the Great War. It doesn't sound that great to me. Mm-hmm. Ferdinand uh, Wolsin Esterhazy. After he was convicted, uh, they basically pardoned him, more or less, and he escaped to the UK. And hmm. he ended up living in the town of Harpenden, just north of London, Okay, where he eventually died and was buried there in 1923. He's buried in St. Nicholas's Churchyard in Harpenden, under the name of Jean de Valmont, because he was a big spy bastard. Indeed. And he's a, pr- a proper Brexit bastard. A probably. Brexit cunt. Yeah. He didn't want to go back. I ain't, I ain't ever going back. That's what he said. And what about the actors that played these sons of bitches? Well, uh, Georges Picard was played by Jean Dujardin. From the artist fame. I believe that is his only fame. He was also on The Wolf of Wall Street, actually, to be fair, TBF. Mm-hmm. He was. He's the uh, Swiss banker. He played Jonah Hill. Yes, he played Jonah he played, Hill. He played the actor Jonah Hill. He played Jean-Jacques Sorel. He was also in Monuments Man. I never watched that. Nor did I. I heard it was awful. I've heard that too. Well, that's all about Jean. That's all about Jean Dujardin. That's all we need to hear about him. Uh, Alfred Dreyfus was played by Louis Garel. Uh, I've been told that I look like him. I disagree with the people who said that. Well, I mean, I don't want to look like him in this film. Look at him. Look at his Wikipedia and tell me that there's not something of the smile that's. I used to have more hair. <laughs> oh, you want to look like him? No, yes. I don't. I don't. I really don't. But no, I have been told he's before. got more of a schnoz than you. Yeah, no, he does have a more of a Roman nose. To be fair, 
But I've just been told. This was a long time ago. I'm just saying. That's his only claim to fame. That's not true. Well, that's He's why nobody knows his name, Andy. Letitia Castor. Who's that now? She was always in like FHM and stuff. She's a model. Nice. Yeah, she's of that. He was also married. He was in a relationship with Carla Bruni's older sister. Who's Carla Bruni again? Carla Bruni is uh, married to Nicolas Sarkozy. Okay. Uh, Louis Garel, whatever. That's all from him. Uh, the lady, Pauline Monnier, is played by the wife of uh, Roman Polanski. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Emmanuel yeah. Signer. She was in a bunch of his films like yeah. Frantic with Harrison Ford and The Ninth Gate with Johnny Depp. Have you seen that? Uh, I have. And uh, Venus in Furs, I think. Venus in Furs, yeah. She was in that. She was fine. I thought everyone was good. It's hard to tell with, again, with a foreign language film. Everyone seemed good to me. The only other thing, people I wanted to shout out were Mathieu Almaric, who played uh, Alphonse Bertillon. He was in Grand Budapest Hotel. He was in Quantum of... He's the baddie from Quantum of Solace. That's right. He was in Munich, the other Munich, the Spielberg yes. Munich. He's I, the son of the guy who's the contact. I always like for Munich. It reminds me, I think I've talked about this before, but I saw Munich in New York. <laughs> yeah, you have. Tell the story again. It's a good well, story. <laughs> it's one of the 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 most over the. I want to say it's probably like a typical New York film, like film going experience, cinema experience. Uh, the scene in Munich where the prostitute lady who sets Kills, them up and like Kieran he, Hines. yeah, he kills Kieran Hines. He kills kills the Irish, uh, the Irish Jew. Motherfucker. <laughs> he kills the Irish one, which is fine. That's fair enough. But they track her down to her houseboat and then they shoot her. They they kill her. And then she's wearing like a little, she's wearing like a robe and she dies and her robe is open and you can see that she's, she's No, they open the robe. No, but yeah, but that's it. But no, first it's open and then someone, one of the guys goes to close it and then another one goes, no, leave it open. And this guy in the back of the cinema just went, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit, son. Fair play. But it was full on. I enjoyed it. It made the film a hundred times better. It's like, I this, like, this is what Spielberg wanted. I like that Munich more than this Munich. I'll t- oh, here's another one for you. Uh, Philippe Monnier, mm-hmm. who was the husband of Polly Monnier, of the lady that, um, that is doing the, the shagging, the, the, the main guy shagging. Her husband is played by Luca Barbareschi. Luca Barbareschi... Is mm-hmm. one of the four actors whom the Italian police believed had been murdered in the making of the 1980 horror film Cannibal Holocaust. What? Where he also abused and killed a young piglet. He was in Cannibal Holocaust, the guy who plays the husband. He was Mark in Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, wow. He was born in Uruguay, or you are gay, as Homer Simpson would say. And, uh, and yeah, he's also one of the producers of Officer and a Spy. Tell you else who's one of the producers of this film, Roman Abramovich. Nice. The uh, former Chelsea owner. Sort of guy you want to make friends with? Apparently so. Wait, let me just check that because that could be bullshit. I saw his name somewhere. Let's just make sure make sure there's not multiple Roman Ab- Abramovi. Is it really produced by Roman Abramovich? Well, I mean, it's his method of... It is one of the executive producers, Roman Abramovich, one of the co-producers, Luca Barbareschi. Impressive. Nice. You never thought those two people would come together. Music by Alexander Desplat, but there's so little music in this film. That's one thing I quite liked about it, is it all, at points it felt almost wiry 
in terms of how little music there was. There wasn't anything telling you like this is bad. These people are bad. No, no, there wasn't. And there's, there's there a are, bit of music, there, there are very, certain very parts rare. of people in the foreground out of focus. It's like it's shot very natural like that on old streets where you do get that impression of yeah, also, like our theory of, man, you could kill anybody before the internet. Oh, yeah. But also, anyone could kill you before the internet. What about the guy? I mean, the, like, assassination attempt on the lawyer is just, a guy yeah. runs up and shoots him with a shitty gun, runs away, is getting chased, turns around, he has a gun, and he fires it almost point blank, and does nothing. I mean, like, it's just, it's such a crap like, oh, okay, to be fair, at this point, weapons were also crap. Man, if I was there, I would have been like if I Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, exactly. I would have another 9/11 stopped 9-11. I would have stopped 9-11, for sure. I would have caught the bullet and then pinged it back in the guy's eye. So which is your favorite Munich? Munich by Steven Spielberg or Munich, The Edge of War? Munich, The Edge of Reason, starring uh, Bridget Jones. I like it. I was not a huge fan of this. I think... Christian Schwoczkov uh, doesn't seem to have the same chops of uh, of old Polanski. Of a certain Polanski. Yeah, it's a problem, isn't it? There's a lot of shaky cam early on that feels unnecessary. I mean, this is a film that was made for Netflix, I believe. Before getting into the plot, I'll ask you this question very direct. Did you just feel it slotted into the zone when they got to Munich? Yes. And when that is a to, problem. When they get to Munich, I was like, Because it's minute. boring as fuck yeah. for three quarters of an hour. And Once I don't he gets care. to Munich, I'm like, I'm on board when Hitler's there, when you Mussolini's there. You get into proper there. Robert Harris territory. And yeah. it, there's, there is a bit of tension. But I also but feel still, like... like... This is, goes back to what I said about those other like Robert Harris novels that I like. What's the big twist or takeaway here is that exactly. the lady is a spy. That's it. The the, the lady is the, looking after that him is a, and didn't hand over the terrible, notes. That's just, a shit just fucking terrible. But like the twist. Uh, the the good things in the film which were a glorious opportunity. One of them they hit the mark on. I'll get to it. And the other man it could have been really good because the thing about Robert Harris's novels, the ones that I've read, is particularly Fatherland. He is not just interested in the Nazis as bad guys. He's interested in why this was fucked up. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, he's going into, like, intense details of the time and and what leading up to it. I mean, Fatherland's good because... Okay, spoilers for Fatherland. The reason why it's good is because it's, it's, it's an alternate universe where the Nazis want... Wait a minute, let me finish. That's not the reason why it's good. The reason why it's good is because in that alternate reality, the Nazis have won. Hitler's still alive. He's almost at the point of... Or is Hitler dead or he's dying? No, he's it's, like, it's, it's in the run-up to his 65th birthday. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is that no one... Idiots. No one knows like anything about the Holocaust is basically like yeah, yeah. rumor fake news type thing there's no evidence they've all been and sent then, off to the east yeah yeah they're they're somewhere like the jews have been moved somewhere and it's it's fine it's all fine but then the main character kind of reveals that and that's that's how it all he gets the word out but i mean that's it like that's but you get but what i would say is uh, you get an interesting exploration of nazi philosophy 
by way of looking at the Victoria society because like you 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 hear hints of people's um uh short-sighted children being basically fucking taken yeah, 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 away yeah, from yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And you, also you, like in in that book the main character like he works for the Nazis, but his son is like a member of the he Nazi gets betrayed youth. By his yeah, son. his son like had, turns him in, and it's like you're not a good Nazi. Yeah, yeah, no, no, he gets betrayed by his son, and it's a, it's this sort of twisted view of reality. And okay, so let me get to my goddamn feelings about uh, Munich: The Edge of War. Firstly, uh, an unfortunate subtitle. They should have just taken away the. Uh, name I mean, Munich. it would have been name, called, it, name it something different. Name it the Edge of War. But obviously, it would have been called Munich. That's what the novel was called. But yeah. Spielberg. But the Spielberg know, film. Just way. call it the Edge of War. It's fine. Edge of War. I don't like Edge of Tomorrow. I'm just because I've the <laughs> just, be, just because I've read a few books on this. I uh, like. I consider myself, you know, relatively. I know a bit about it. I know a bit about what went on. I feel that about both of these films that you know the story, the real story. Yes. And I feel like in this story, once they get over to Munich, everything kind of goes right and goes interesting. And the Wikipedia article to this film is unfair to the actual historical perspective. They make it seem like for some reason there's been some revisionism about the character of... It's all uh, about Neville Chamberlain. About Neville Chamberlain. No, uh, any historical opinion worth respecting including fucking Winston Churchill, knows what Neville Chamberlain did here. He did what the film implies he did. It's not... I bought the UK sometimes. Like, basically, the, the secondary school... <laughs> but the film doesn't de- de- uh, detail this well in the running time. But the secondary school telling of it would say he's a coward and Churchill was... Right. The, the, but it, no, I mean, he was a liberal. Churchill supported him to the fucking end. It wasn't Churchill who said, for God's sake, go. It was an opposition party member who Churchill went to school with, by the way, who wanted Churchill. They wanted Churchill as the war prime minister because what Chamberlain had done had not... Chamberlain was also dying of cancer, to be fair. Yeah, he was. And whereas the remarks made here are not ratified historically, he was a sound enough political operator that most historians you read will say, yes, Chamberlain was trying to gain something with this, and he did know who slash what Hitler was, which in the fil- this film happens to be fucking shit casting. The only shit casting in the movie, I would say. How do you miscast Hitler? God he speaks damn, like a he robot. Sucks, doesn't he? He was also in Downfall. That actor, not as Hitler. No, he played That's... Goebbels. Oh my, he sucks. He's, he must have been a decent Goebbels. I don't remember. He reminds me of a guy I used to work for, actually, but uh, like, also they, playing that's the a same real, character. It's a real bummer because part of the scripting of Hitler, they get down, well, okay, I'm about to reveal my Hitler Even obsession. fucking Taika's a better Hitler. So I've I've read this book called Hitler's Table Talk, which is when Hitler got super paranoid in the end years, he had a stenographer sit by him during his meals and dinner parties and write down everything he said. I've read that. This film kind of gets the energy. Like, he was a total paranoid all the time. Even in one-on-one dinners, he would always say, man, people don't fucking respect me, do they? Like, he had a neurotic perspective. And ironically, what people would call nowadays a Jewish perspective, one would say. But anyway, whatever. He's like, also like a very... That's just... that's just. He reminds me of so many artists that I've met. Well, this is it. It's not really a surprise. I, in Especially the last, struggling last artists. Last year, I, I read um, Ian Kershaw's, which is the most celebrated biography of Hitler. I've read his... Uh, biography and what he says in the intro is and he achieves it he wanted to make he wanted to make hitler kind of a non-event and just 
highlight everything that made Hitler. And I think this film actually does a decent enough job of that, but then it kind of loses its way. But then it gets it back again. That's what I would say. I like a lot of it, but I think it fumbles the ball in a way that could have been much more interesting. And I'll talk about that when I go into plot. Do you want to hear about the plot? Yeah, I just want to, like, I would rather see a Robert Harris story where some character shoots Hitler. I'd rather Which see that story. Which we almost did have that. Yeah, I'd much rather see what happens when Hitler dies. When he I'd does like a to Tarantino. play that. Out. Yeah, yeah. But no, Harris even, isn't interested in that though. I know, but like I, and, he's and not, just not, and not played out in a boring like. And then everything was fine. And then Germany reformed. I know and it what was you all... mean because th- that moment of tension. Imagine a car chase out of Germany and uh, out of Munich in 1938 could have been great. Also, that I mean that Stephen Fry novel making history. That kind of covers that, where he goes back in time and basically kills Hitler. Nice. And then a far more, like a more rational, kind of like just evil, but like clinical person takes over. And is far worse than Hitler, because he does it in like a nice sort of smiley, friendly way. Mm. Well, you see, no, this is what we're talking about, because we're talking about a movie about Hitler. The thing is... Odd duck. Hitler was the only person who really, really successfully went against the mental Christian narrative that we have going on. The historian Tom Holland uses the... He was very um, good in Spider-Man. Yeah, he was great in Spider-Man. Uses the metaphor, he says, we're basically all just swimming in... We're goldfish swimming in Christian waters. Yeah? And the notion is, there is nobility in suffering. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Like... Basically, Seems we're all in Catholic. it together. As Tom, pa- Tom Papa says in the in his uh, latest special, we're all in this together, guys. Make room, you know? And uh, the Nazis were the first real successful step against that because they were saying, you know, if you're weak, uh, well, tough shit because the state is more important. we got to make the state happen. We just have to do that. And I don't know, there's parts of this film that really get that across to you quite well, that you're dealing with something antichrist, but also you're dealing with a country that has had a horrific time. And now, it was in the one flashback sequence, which was during the rise of the Nazis, that I, even though the first 45 minutes were kind of boring, that flashback sequence bugged me much more. The 1932 flashback where they're drinking in like a beer hall. Yes. When, when he goes over that to That bugged Munich. me so much because Germany was in a very bad state at that Not point. in Munich in that one particular bar where everyone was having a gay old time. Exactly. Being anti-Semitic together. Germany was in such a bad place at that right. time that like a, a British visitor there could have bought the pub. <laughs> like <laughs> Probably should have. Anyway. It would have been a lot easier later on. He could have barred the guy who found them out. So the opportunity I feel the film missed, and I think the moment to have it would have been maybe when Paul gets in to meet Neville Chamberlain, is because the thing is, in Harris's novels, he is actually interested in history. He is. And there could have been a bit of a discussion about why Nazism is so fucked up. Because the thing is, as well, is like everybody's such a privileged position these days. It's like people didn't, people didn't. Well, know. They, they tried to paint that Paul character as a guy who was on board 
until, I think they do that successfully. Yeah, but he, I mean, what's his... But the fucking... What's, what's his yeah. turning point? Was it his ex-girlfriend exactly. getting yeah, thrown yeah, out yeah. of it's a horseshit. window? It's horseshit. Is that what it is? It's horseshit. Because he's already, like... It's hard he's a to nationalist, say. He's a hardline yeah, nationalist. Yeah, he's like, we need to... We need to like make Germany great again. Essentially, he's gone down this path. And by like, the way, that idea of his uh, ex uh, Jewish girlfriend having a star of David branded on her back and then thrown out a window. This. Yeah, it's like no, they would have just killed him. No, they uh, two guys went. <laughs> they, she got uh, two guys roughed her up on the street and said, "This this is Nazi country." <laughs> 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 That's fact. I heard that. Indeed, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> but anyway, that shit's always so funny to me. Whenever you hear like uh, legends of crew, like uh, there's a very common one you'll hear about the Hundred Years' War, which is that uh, French uh, troops would cut the two fingers off English oh, archers. Yeah, the, the archer. That's and go the, like the v, that. Yeah, that's. But then you just have to go. Well, why didn't they just kill the art, kill the soldiers <laughs> when they had them? Well, I feel that. I felt that about such, uh, such horseshit. I felt that about like sending fucking Dreyfus to the island in the other film. I'm like, just fucking kill him. Why are we? Why are you like? Because it was very high profile. I guess, but I'm still just like, yeah, just tell him you sent him to Devil's Island. Who knows? Like, what? It's fucking 1893, the and you're worried they were about counting on him to die and kill himself, uh, uh, die or kill himself. They were counting on that, but he just didn't do it. They, they picked the. They wrong. picked. They picked quite frankly. The wrong Jew. He just had such an insane strong spirit. Like that stuff that happens at the start of the film. That happened in real life. And that wasn't, that was open to the public. There were members of the public there and he was going, I love France. I'm innocent. I'm innocent, exactly. Anyway, back to Munich. Back to Munich. Okay, so Munich you, begins. You the plot, yeah, go. Munich begins with old George McKay. Um, Hugh Leggett. Hugh Leggett. Leggett! I was not a fan of the Oxford University section. I hated that so much. I'm off I, to Cambridge next week, and it is quite similar, and I've been around a bit of that. Uh, well, my main issue was the way it was shot. It's I was just like... horrible, shaky cam. Yeah, yeah. Brutal. I was like, why are you shooting it the, like this? The, I didn't get it. The girl going and getting more bottles of champagne, I yeah, recall, yeah. Are them all looking like they're going to have a threesome by the river. Yeah, yeah. What's... Was Not it directed by somebody else who directed the Munich sequence? I 1,000% agree with you. But there are some weird elements throughout the film where it just randomly goes to shaky, shaky cams. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, there's, one, you know, there's one particular misdirection that I just think is bananas, but we'll get to that. But, yeah, it, it, like during that open, opening sequence, it's like, I presume the idea was to get us to care about the relationship between, between these it three people. It did not work. No, 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 it didn't. Um, and then we get carried forward to Leggett, Leggett. and uh, his wife, who he's not getting along well with. Um, who is completely like a non-factor in the whole thing. She's at the start and she's at the end. She's quite hot. Yeah, but that's not enough. No, it I'm isn't. Sorry to say. But anyway, he's he's the whole time just being called back and forth from his job with the government. Yay, hey. Because he worked at Oxford. I mean, he studied at Oxford, so obviously now he's in, he's like basically like a fucking prime minister's secretary. And the big question is, are Germany going to invade uh, Czechoslovakia? The Sudetenland. The Sudetenland, yeah. A famous speech by a Czechoslovakian prime minister at the time, I believe he, he asked the world, are they going to stand by and watch Germany rape Czechoslovakia. Are you going to stand by and watch the rape of Czechoslovakia? Evidently, 
They were going the to. The answer was yes. Yes. Um, but they were going to have a conference beforehand with uh, Benino Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, and uh, George McKay, and um, Jeremy Irons, and uh, the guy who played King Edward II in The Crown. And that's who was going to be there. Who's the one who played King Edward II in The Crown? Um... Alex Jennings. Uh, Horace oh, Wilson. Alex Jennings. Okay, yeah, he played Horace Wilson. Alex Jennings also appeared in Unforgotten. Season... Something. Anyway. 2018 season three. Okay, so we, the last time we've seen Paul is when he's in university with Leggett, and then we see him in Germany when he's trying to stage a coup. Yeah. And the coup or at least the motivation for the coup, is dependent on Germany invading Czechoslovakia. Yeah. And they drink schnapps around in a pub, etc., etc. The problem is we're supposed to care more about Paul than we do. Like, obviously, like you bring, we bring into this our knowledge about the Second World War and about what it is. It's crucial for fil- enjoying the film. <laughs> it's crucial. How would you, but that's also one of the problems of the film because it's you're the like, problem of the film. It's the but, biggest but problem. It's it's like a kind of double edged sword because you're like, yes, the fact that I know about this means I can get some enjoyment from it. But the fact that I know about it means why do I care? Like, wh- at a certain point, I'm like. Which oh, is, they, they don't manufacture enough drama. Again, I feel like it's another Robert Harris adaptation where I'm like, I need more. Just fucking have you seen make the film, some bullshit um, up. Have you seen the film Frost Nixon? Yeah. Right. Frost Nixon, and I'm a big Nixon fan, I am, as a historical subject. Well, I like Frost. Is, <laughs> I'm a fan of songs of praise. But anyway, they there's a scene in the center of that that is completely fabricated where... Right. Before the last interview, Nixon calls Frost in his hotel room and he tells him they're going to give him a show. I done Watergate. Yeah, I he's done like, it. <laughs> no, he I does. done it. <laughs> We're going to give him something. We're going to make the motherfuckers choke. It's a great scene. And I quite like that movie, being honest. like I have no problem. We've talked about this before. I don't have a problem nowadays, especially with people just making up some horse shit to make the film better. Well, they, but they do this, but they don't make up good horseshit. Right. <laughs> it's, if it, you, it, if, it if people sucks. are going to criticize your film for its accuracy, make it fucking good. Make spaceships come out of Hitler's arsenal. There's one part of this that I liked. So, yeah, all right. Let's uh, catch up with the plot. So, Paul is there planning on staging a coup or supporting a coup at the they very least. A 9-11. When... Uh, Hitler proposes in invading the Sudetenland, and then he hears that his old mate from university, Leggett, who he's... Oh, I thought you were talking about the other mate. No, he's who he's uh, fallen out with at some point or other, um, we'll find out when, uh, is going to be coming over for the conference. He's like, yes, I'll cuddle up to him. Then, out in the street, he meets August Deal, who right. his... Casting agency must Almost be called like a, Nazis looks like are his, Looks like his fucking former bully or something. Yeah, he's just. He a, has like such like a relationship with him. Of like, ha ah, ha yeah, like this is cool. And he tries. He fucking like August Deal just like wrestles him. Yeah, yeah, like he gives him a headlock in the train. He's like the German Michael Shannon. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that's perfect. Actually, <laughs> that is absolutely perfect. That, that is what his Shannon? agent should say. Yeah, we have the German <laughs> Michael Shannon. If you have a German movie with uh, you need the Michael Shannon. Anyway, yeah. So he's there to scrutinize Paul directly, and somehow it works out that 
they're going to have this conference over in Munich where they try to sort everything out and avoid a war. So they go over there. It's just Jeremy Irons's Neville Chamberlain who gets to go up to the room. And uh, up he goes and he does some uh, discussions with Herr Hitler. George McKay's uh, legged is over there with him. And he's just shooting eyes across the room with his old mate Paul. Flashback, we get to see his old mate Paul and his old mate Paul's girlfriend. Lena. Lena, the Jew, the Jewish girlfriend. It is important to the story. Uh, it sounded mean the way I said it. It, did sound, it sounded <laughs> the weird Jew. the way you said uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but um, it is important to the story. You don't learn to later. And to be honest, you know, you know, no, whatever, fuck this film. If they were being historically accurate, they would have addressed it sooner rather than a plot twist. Quite That's frankly. true. I, I don't, and it's not an effective plot twist. No, it isn't. You're like... She's in hospital because she's Jewish and she protested and then they fucked her up. No, it's bullshit. It's horseshit. Yes, sorry, no. Like, even in 1932, while they were dating and he knew that she was Jewish and all the shit that was already going on. Exactly. And and he fell out with her and said, no, they're not racist. That is insane. He's a fucking piece of shit. But that wasn't happening. Like, that, like... Yeah. It, it just... was The reason that the Jews were singled out was because they were not mixing well as a community in certain countries. Like, people had Jewish friends. There were inter-Jewish marriages. But the political class, the people, particularly the young, angry men that got involved with Nazis, they weren't mixing with Jews. Right. Jews were rich. Sure. It, like, people who uh, got behind the Nazis were poor as fuck or rich as fuck. There was no... I don't know. Anyway, I'm probably speaking out of turn there, but I that kind of bugged me, the way they approached that. Anyway, yes, we flash back to when they fell out in Munich originally, and it was... That scene really bugged me. The second... when the, In the second part of the movie, when they get to Munich, like, I did enjoy the movie quite a bit, but that scene bugged the I shit out of me. I didn't like how Leggett, at the end of that scene, just turns around to Lena. It turns around to do the lady. Do you want to go to the thing? Try, try, so, so he's fucked off. Do you want to go? Do you want to... Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed that they didn't shag because that would have made a better like. This is why we've fallen out. First of all, it looked like they were going to shag. Do you think? I mean, it's is. Do you think that's hinted at and just not? No, 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 no. I don't think that's. I, I mean, I agree. If I if I was in Leggett situation there, he I would have tried to shag her if I was in Leggett situation. My Leggett but no, over. it's just such a bullshit falling out. Because the thing is, is like everything that the guy... Po- it's such a fucking that Netflix guy- falling out. That's what I'll call it. Yeah, f- fine. But everything that the guy, uh, that Paul is saying is true. Germany was having a fucking horrible time. Hitler was... Not the- in that one bar, though. Exactly. They were having a fucking great time. Exactly. And that's why it just, I don't know, it didn't work. Anyway, flashback forward. Paul approaches him at this conference. He's got this piece of paper that he got from the daughter from Tony Erdman. Uh, and he's just there saying, look, Hitler's an actual monster. This piece of paper did not exist. This is completely fictional, which is fine. Don't mind that. But anyway, he's like, you got to get this to your government, uh, to your uh, Neville Chamberlain. And uh, George Mackay is like, you get it to him. So he brings him <laughs> into the hotel that night. But in the meanwhile, August Style, the super Nazi, is like keeping an eye out for them. This is the one surprise I feel the film had well. But anyway, Paul gets in to see Neville Chamberlain and it... it just appears that Neville Chamberlain is just totally ignorant and just like, nah, man, I'm not buying any of your horseshit. Hitler will agree to what he agrees to. But as most historians agree these days, Chamberlain was a sharper political operator than that, and he did have an idea that 
Hitler was gonna because the thing is the second Hitler got the second Chamberlain got back Britain did begin arming Preparing. up majorly majorly the like the RAF I think grew by five in the year uh, mm. up until the phony war so and then Ireland went even more neutral <laughs> got even more neutral definitely not doing anything uh, you guys do what I'm you want I'm actually busy for the next few years so I'm sorry man you could have had us on your side you could have if you weren't such cons just as well the UK never did anything bad anyway uh, Chamberlain has the brainwave before signing the final pact uh, to have uh, the piece of paper apiece which is what he holds in the famous video I have here a piece of paper signed by Herr Hitler I'm gonna um, frame it yeah I'm gonna keep it on my wall and keep it because I like the guy, he's a good painter. But I'm leading up to the most <laughs> just terrible moment in the movie, and it's nothing to do with history, it's just it's just terrible. So McKay gets introduced to this typist, and you immediately go... The camera way angles are insane. Horrible like, insane. direction I'm like, going... Obviously she's important. She's a thing, she's isn't important. she? She's a thing, this lady. She's not a typist, she's clearly... That's such a it's such a fucking obvious tell because they dwell on her way too much. It just sucks. It's like, do you remember the way that whoever directed uh, the episodes of Arrested Development that had Anne in them? That's yeah. how you wanted bury a lead. <laughs> Who? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just it's a, as plain as the Anne on Nose's face or whatever. Exactly. There you go. Um, but yeah, you totally know what's happening. The one shock in the movie is when Leggett gets confronted by August Stalin in his hotel room. I did not expect that. He beats him up. They beat each other up. He leaves. Um, he figures, oh my God, no. He's got the piece of paper. He's lost, his, he's lost that bit of paper, which the paper, bit of paper basically explains Hitler's plans. So that's bullshit, that bit of paper. Like, there's no... No, it didn't exist. So, but is there some notion that Hitler... Like, this is my question as someone who doesn't know that much about it. Did Hitler at that point already have this idea of expanding the Reich in those directions? Yes, it's in Mein Kampf. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> here, here's the thing about me. I haven't actually got the print of Mein Kampf tattooed yeah, yeah. on well, my chest like, like you do, an incredibly small text. Yeah. Well, I mean, how else am I supposed to have freckles, Andy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's in Mein Kampf. Freckles, uh, yeah. It's in Mein Kampf, the fact, particularly the fact that he wants to expand eastward. I like to call it your camp. Um, and he thinks he can absorb all nations. Like, it's there. So it's not the part. So you recently rewatched the film, uh, The Conference, is it called? Uh, it's about the, the Vansi Conference. I yeah, can't yeah, remember. Exactly. It's called something else. Like, that's the only, and there isn't much of that. I think conspiracy. there's conspiracy. I think conspiracy. It's conspiracy. That's the only real surviving evidence of and the plan. And there's very there's very little evidence of that. There's one meeting and people are scared. Most about people got one rid minutes. of their Sorry, minutes. Minute, yeah. yeah. There's like one set of minutes from that meeting. Yeah, that's about as much and as there is. And that's about the final solution. That was like agreeing the final solution. Great film. Very good. Worth yeah. watching. Certainly about expansion east, that's in Mein Kampf. So what they're implying in the film, I mean, I don't think they're implying that the revelations of Mein Kampf are new or secretive because the thing is in Mein Kampf he doesn't include Russia in it because he doesn't want you know the Gutenberg had happened there was a printing press he didn't want to get as far as those but Steve he was Gutenberg. he wanted to get 
Poland and Czechoslovakia and stuff like that, and he felt that the population in uh, population density in Germany was too much to support how many people they had there. And I think it would have been very interesting in the thing that definitely didn't happen when Paul gets in to talk to Neville Chamberlain. That I liked you in Die Hard with a Vengeance. That you they that. no no that they talk about what the Nazis are actually about. Because I think a lot of people, particularly nowadays, just don't fucking get how close the world came. Particularly at that point. That was the point. That was what the character Paul says in in the film is right. They were on the edge. If war had exploded at that moment, Germany non-prepared, France just completely rolled over, no militarized Britain. They could have invaded Britain. They could have. And... Like Lord knows what would have happened, you know. It's well, not. It's they not would have trivial. Got to Scotland, and we would have, we would have kicked fuck a them. You would have fucked. Uh, then and then it would have been. Then the real heroes of the war, the Scottish Aye. and the Irish, would have been revealed. They emerged with kilts and shields. No man, it would have been fucking. <laughs> and, and we would have the the Scots. We would have shown our arses. We'd have had kilts on. And that kills did. people. We I know our arses. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been sucked into the the black hole. Anyway. But wait, okay, so wait, you're, oh, okay, so that's it. I need to finish the plot, though. No, 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 but I just want to say your point about this is just that they would have fucking rolled over everyone if they started then. If they'd gone to war with Europe at that point, without that little break. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm saying they would have got a lot further than they did. Well, thank God for Russia, and nothing bad ever came of that. Yeah. But I mean, one thing that the film does well in just brief moments, even though it's shot too clean, is does... There's that one moment near the start where he's passing by a cinema and they have the Jews cleaning the ground. Yeah. Like that that. kind of shit happened. Sure. And like the thing is, most, I won't say most, but like loads of German people weren't into it. There's plenty of accounts of that of people going around going, what the hell has happened to where I live? This is nuts. Like, people didn't dig being around all of that suffering all the time. I always feel like things like this, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm coming at this from, like, the most fucking privileged <laughs> point of view in the world, but, like, if I was somewhere and anyone threatened me and told me that I needed to get out of my home country, I'm such a shy bag, <laughs> I would just leave immediately and go. But I'm guessing this is assuming that I like I have the means to leave and all the kinds of things. Leave. Yeah, I have all the education and means, et cetera, et cetera, to leave. But it's like plus I'm also a shy bag. That pe- I would just the, go like, the, 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 I'm going, I'm going, don't kill me, I'm sorry. The way people uh, usually psychologically examine the claim that you're putting forward, which I'll name here this day, the Mark Wahlberg claim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm doing the op. I'm the opposite. No, of you're not. I'm, you're I'm saying it. if I was there, I would have no. fucking run away faster you're, than anyone you're, else. You're putting more on fucking <laughs> uh, scaffolding around the real world. Sometimes you have to more on scaffold. Just fucking leave, man. I don't give a fuck. I'm, not, I'm just saying we could have all gotten the same. Boat. No, 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 no. Like the answer to that, particularly World War Two, is that. <laughs> <laughs> so I know in your eyes that you're actually thinking, and so it makes me I just I want to, I want to say for the listener of like Donica's respect for me has dropped so far. I saw it in his eyes. He's like, this guy's a fucking <laughs> R word. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't say that. In time. I know, but I saw it in your eyes. <laughs> you think yeah, I'm like? Right. If you think I'm like Mark Wahlberg, I'll take it. <laughs> I get up at six. I get up at four, and then I work out, and then at five, I have breakfast. <laughs> right. So the way people <laughs> never seen such a disdain in someone's eyes before. No, 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 no. no. I'm not disdaining. Except well, my I'm, own. Like, when I look in the mirror. Go ahead. What I'll say is. The way people normally get around that way of thinking is it was unprecedented. It was unprecedented, but it was postmodernism, but like not as a philosophical movement, philosophical movement. They should have watched Schindler's List. Post dash modernism. So modernism was very much of the bent of the the First World War. People were thinking this is the end of history, and that was a even if people weren't into philosophy, people were very much into that. People had settled down. Poland in particular is particularly prevalent. So people just thought nothing was going to come of it. They just thought there's no way that this... No one could be that silly to do all this shit again type thing. Not quite that people... Nobody will do... More so, this is what... Someone's going to step in and save us. No, not even that. Just like, this is our lives now. We're at the end of history. Oh. Nothing's going to happen here. And even as people were moved to the concentration camps... Like, the percentage of people who realized we need to get out, and some people did get out, and sure. they got out by the exact way that you were thinking in your head, but most people did not. Most people just one marched person into the camps. One person got out, Polanski. His mother was That's killed right. in Incredible one of the camps. Story. His Incredible father story. survived one of the camps. Um, they were reunited later. book I read last year, uh, The Escape Artist, a guy who escaped from Auschwitz. Mm. Incredible story, but most people just marched right in because they don't, they were already broken at that point. I imagine. Yeah, but uh, like, it's not that they were broken. They really did not believe that this could happen to them. Sure. I mean, if you look at the comparison with the Holocaust versus what happened in Syria, um, with ISIS approaching, most people in Syria found a way to leave. They just walked over borders, got as far as they could. Like the Exodus is just crazy. You mean because they understood what was coming? Yeah. It was easier to understand because there is some yeah, yeah, sort of precedent. Yeah, yeah, there is, exa- there are, Yeah, there's a solid precedent now. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> you're all, I'll just go into the forest and hang out until it's all over. I wasn't going to go to the forest. I was going to go to New York. I was going to go, hey, hey, oi, I'm one of you guys. And you know what hey, the Americans hello. did? Hey, you, you guys know what the Americans did? What, send people back to Germany? Boats of Jews went over. The Americans turned them away. Damn. Well... Yeah. It turns out pretty rough America. Pretty rough stuff. Great. Yeah, but I would have been fine. I'll finish off the plot. So what basically what basically happens is um he gets the written agreement out of Hitler, comes back to <laughs> London, and then the World War Two starts a year later. But we did we had that nice scene, I don't know if it's a nice scene where Paul's gonna shoot Hitler. But the problem with that scene is you're like, well the casting. That's a huge problem. But the other problem is you're like, well, obviously he's not going to fucking shoot Hitler. Yeah, there's no tension. Because that is a different film. <laughs> and it is a film that I've already said I'd quite like to watch. Mm. But it's sort I mean, it's uh, it's tense only because Hitler's like going at him and the tension comes from thinking that Paul's 
old mate Nazi face might come in and like kill him. Like yeah. that you expect that Paul's gonna get done in. And then there's the revelation that the the Lady Joan, the typist, who's actually the daughter of uh this guy Mingus. Oh god damn, what a terrible revelation. Terrible revelation where she's like, See that guy you met before? That's actually my godfather uncle. or uncle or something, or some spurious, weird semi relation. So see how you thought I was a typist. I'm actually protecting you. That's what she said. Anyway, could have been good, is only okay. Huge problem with this film. Started filming in October 2020, finished in December 2020. This is like a, a this is like a COVID like victim. Way into COVID. Like obviously it was pre-planned, but was filmed during COVID. And I think that hadn't had some kind of effect. Cause I feel like a bunch of things filmed in that period are Shit. far less hands-on. Far more like uh, people were obviously masked up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, it was like right in the shit, and just didn't work out. I think in in other times and with a, a slightly more talented director, I don't have any problems with casting. I don't mind Jeremy Irons. Uh, obviously, nice to see uh, the lady from Tony Erdman, Sandra Hiller. But about Jeremy, the only person I have a few things to say about is Jeremy Irons. That's the only one. I mean, we've talked about Jeremy Irons before because he has one of the best voices. He's in the mission, also. That was that's when we talked about him. He's one of the best voices in the world. He's the man. We talked about his um, <laughs> his initial attitudes to gay marriage, and then the fact that he uh, reversed back on it. Do you remember this? Uh, no. Uh, it's pretty fun. But anyway, I remember. When I was growing up, everybody in my town loved Jeremy Irons because he used to come there and play Irish music, and he liked Irish music. And he's it's married big, to uh, Sinead Cusack. Yeah, he's a big Hibernia-file. Well, that's fine. He has a castle in Cork that's painted pink. Because this is, when I was reading this part of his Wikipedia profile, I was just there going, oh yeah, Irons is my guy. That, this is the sort of thing I would do with disposable income. I could see you in a pink castle, sir. He bought a castle and painted it in the traditional way, and everyone was like, oh, it's pink. And he's like, no, it's ochre. That's how they how used to paint it back in the day. <laughs> this was how it was supposed to look. This was how it was supposed to But no, okay, his uh, thing about gay marriage is um, he made some comments saying, oh, well, yeah, I think it's all right after they sort out the um, the incest law, because otherwise a father can just pass uh, his wealth to his son without paying any tax if he marries him. Respect. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I'm going to marry my re- dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I quite like him. I think he's Jeremy great. Irons, uh, Sandra Huller, who mm. plays Helen Vintar, she's going to be see, uh, the lady from Tony Erdman, who she was very good in that. She's going to be seen so shortly in some Cannes-winning films. Two. Two no, one, dumb. but two. Which I'm one w- are you looking for? I'm looking forward to Zone the Johnny Glazer one. Yeah, old Johnny Glaze, who's doing Zone of Interest. Uh, on based on the novel by friend of the show Martin Amos, who died very recently, just a couple of weeks ago. And the other one is the called uh, Anatomy of a Fall. I'm yeah. not meh meh. Should be fine. I was a bit of a shock when Eric can, by all accounts. But Zone of Interest again. Uh, people have said is amazing and won the Grand Prix at Cannes. Yeah, Johnny Glazer is incapable of making an uninteresting film. So It's hugely popular on Rotten Tomatoes Tomatoes right now. It's 96% pause with an average rating of 9.2. 
And they'd all be critics, Which is basically. insane. That's like an insanely high score. You don't see that. Even like the best films of all time you see on there at like 8.2 or something, 8.5. Mm-hmm. 9.2 is a mad, mad score. So like... Anyway, fuck all this bullshit. You're going away for the summer. I am. This is the, the last episode uh, until September. When we will meet again. All right, so I guess we better uh, lay out our toss picks, no? We certainly should. I went for the Yasujiro Ozu film Tokyo Story, which I think we've talked about before. Classic, yeah. I mean, it's literally thought to be one of the most... So they say. One of the greatest films of all time. I think Roger Ebert had it as his number one for some time also. He loves it. I've seen a few of his other films. Nice. I haven't seen anything from him, from Vincent Price, except... What was it called? We watched it? Laura. Laura. Laura, exactly. The Otto Preminger film. The Otto Preminger film, exactly. I preferred Anatomy of a Murderer, personally. Both good. Indeed. But... Now I want to watch the 1968 uh, period uh, horror film directed by Michael Reeves, but also starring Vincent Price, Witchfinder General. Lovely. Okay. All right. Okay. You got a coin? Uh, sure. Yeah, well, you have one. There's one over there. Where? I don't know. Over there somewhere. What are my options? What are we talking about here? Okay. We've been yeah, we'll down. use a different coin. Use that one? A different coin as opposed to what? What are we talking about here? Nothing. Uh, okay. So what are my options here? I've got a 20 or... Krang from the Turtles. <laughs> oh, Krang, 100%. All right. I want the sort of thing made of chewing gum in the middle of a big man. Yeah, yeah. Who is like a brain. Pretty cool, him. wasn't it? Yeah, everyone As a loves, body, everyone like, loves it, a Krang. Pretty cool. All right, okay. Krang, played You're by going Angus Krang, McFadden. I'm going Go. 20. Go. Come on, Krang. Go the Krang. He's tossing. It's up in the air. He's caught it. It's down on his hand, and it says... Krang wins! Woo! It's Krang all day, baby. Woo! All right. So, rather than go another Ozu film, because Lord knows... Why do you not want to know what you would have won? Of course I want to know what I would have won. What would I have won? Well, I was going to go for uh, a film which also starred Vincent Price. It's from 1958. It's the original Fly. So I haven't seen that. I haven't seen The Fly. I've I'm seen the remake. So I've seen glad the you won. You don't like... Have you seen it? No, but I bet it sucks. Because the last time you did something like I this, we the, ended up watching the original you movie of The it. Thing. And that would well, I would have watched in this case. I would have watched the fly. I'd watch the Cronenberg rewatch the Cronenberg fly and fly two, which I've seen many or at least a few times when I was a kid. Fly two. I never watched fly two. Really? Is it good? I saw it when I was a kid. I don't. It's like one of those films that's kind of you saw it saw in the sixties. I, I saw it too young. No, fly two is from like eight or something. Yeah, but I mean, when you were a child. Sure, that's right. You're a very old man. Fair play, Gary Oldman, minus the R. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, ra- I've seen plenty of Ozu, but I haven't seen Tokyo Story, so I'm looking forward to watching it. But rather than pile on with the Ozu... Or we're I- watching Godzilla. Go ahead. No, no, no. Um, One called uh, Sancho the Bailiff. Sancho the Bailiff. Yeah, yeah. Sancho it's another... Uh, Yoshimoto, I think, is the name of the director. Sancho the Bailiff. Sancho the Bailiff. Uh, the name is Sancho Dayu. Known in Japanese, uh, known by its Japanese title in the, in the United Kingdom and Ireland. So that's weird that you've got the American title. It's directed by Kenji Mizuguchi. That's the guy. Mizuguchi Kenji, this it? So that's what we'll do. Well, why not? We've got a million years in which why why he directed a lot of films. This was towards the end of his this young young mm. gentleman's this young young man's career. And now all I'll say is, um, mm, I don't know, I got this. 
I mean, you'll have plenty of time to edit this episode. Let's hope so. Indeed. It's coming out sometime in August. Audience, we love you. I love you. I love you, Andy. I love you too. Bye. Weathering hours The gentle days keeping us warm